Chapter 6 Allies with a Single Purpose Furtive steps took the four assassins to the location where they'd come above ground. Dithkinir felt relief at the damp, dark earth between his fingers as they slid downward into one of their tunnels. Once again, they were in pitch blackness. Their chest heaved while they sat there a moment, catching their breath, weary from the failed kill. It seems our task has been subverted, said Dithkinir. Where'd that half-elf come from? It was a knight of the hawk. They don't belong here. Uthic remained calm, crouching in the tunnel. I don't know, he said, rubbing the smooth skin of his head. But the dragon army would pay a lot for this information, I'd guess. Uthic was sharp-witted. Dithkinir liked that about him. You're right, he hissed back. But our task is to eliminate the ninja first. We'll do it tonight. With so much time wasted, we should now endeavor to take him while he sleeps. It'll be easier. Galanis, who'd not spoken since they slid into their hall, leaned forward from the tunnel wall where he sat. Dirt covered his hands and face. On his right shoulder, an armored plate in the shape of a skull hung from beneath his cloak. I'll track the ninja to discover where he goes, he said through his wound purple scarf and rose to a crouch. Dithkinir shot an eye at Galanis, nodding. Go then, he said, and leave us a trail. We'll catch up to you as night falls. Galanis bowed his head in agreement, then sprang gracefully up the incline, kicking dirt and rock down behind him. There was a flourish of purple cloak, and he was gone. Dithkinir shook his head, looking over to their fourth assassin. He was sitting limply against the tunnel wall, his head slumped to the side, a black braid draped over his pale face, covering the violet tattoo on his cheek and forehead. Uthuk reached down, touching Elikil's chest wound. He raised his bloodied fingers. Elikil is dead. That only added another wave of hot anger. Dithkinir took a deep breath. <sighs> Bury him. Then we'll track the ninja down ourselves. You think Galanis will disobey you again? Asked Uthik, rolling Elikil's limp body over onto its side as though he buried the dead every day. Dithkinir didn't even have to think about that. It's the one thing I can trust him to do. He smirked. He'll head for the general's camp. I'm sure he'll try to collect a fee for the information about the Knight of the Hawk. Do you think the half-elf knows about them? Difficult to tell, responded Dithkinir, his voice grinding. We'll discover soon enough when Galanis returns. Then we'll see what their plans are for the night. I'll gladly bury a blade in the half-elf for free, along with the ninja. Uthik was already tearing up great piles of moist earth and tossing them aside. He always carried his digging claws with him, and he was definitely the fastest digger Dithkinir had. In fact, after the fight, he was now one of the only assassins left in his small band. It upset Dithkinir a great deal to know that his hard work at training them had all been a waste of time. It would probably upset Eveldrath even more, a fact that sent shudders up his spine. After Uthik piled the dirt over the corpse of their fallen comrade, he crawled back toward Dithkinir again, his digging claws still covering his hands. He nodded. Then let's go, said Dithkinir as they skulked from their hole. Keep his shadows until the night disguises our own. The roast boar sizzled in the fireplace as Turum fetched tin plates and two forks from the cupboard. 
He looked to his right where Monikin stood in front of the hearth where he watched the boar's meager juices sizzle and drip from its husk. Term's mouth watered. For some reason, he'd already grown some level of trust in Minikin, but it was still prudent to keep watch over him. He hadn't been around Kithkin much, but imagine it would be like watching a child at times, given their lack of fear, and besides, easiness was not in Term's nature. When the boar was ready, they served themselves and went to the table to sit across from each other in the wooden chairs near the window. Minikin removed his hood. His eyes were intent on what he was doing while he lifted a fork, taking his first bite. Turin put some in his mouth as well, but it wasn't more than a moment before he spoke. What do you know of the Dark Elves? The Kithkin swallowed and thought a moment before he answered. It's a story that goes back thousands of years. I do not know all, but I'll tell you what I've learned. Please. Very well, said Meineken as he began, his voice taking on the tone of a storyteller. Nearly 3,000 years ago, a civil war tore the elven nations of Aradwin apart, dividing them against one another. The Lakai, the Light, and the Thalui, the Dark, fought for control of the High Council's chairs. Their war was pointless and violent, and in the end, the Lakai stood triumphant. They determined, justly, that instead of executing any of the Thalui with their magic, they would send them to a realm far beneath the surface. There, the Dark Ones could spend the rest of their days left to wither and die. Their hatred would be hidden, unable to pollute the minds of the other elves as the many wars of men have done before. Turum nodded slowly, listening as Minikin explained. He knew some of the history of the elven civil wars, but not as much as this Kithkin. But they never passed from this world, did they? They made their way back to the surface. I've heard of their kind far to the west on the continent of Tarvu, but how'd they return? And how'd they get here? Tunneling, the Kithkin continued. They built networks of tunnels so intricate and so well crafted that, indeed, they did rise to the surface. My guess is that the dark elf hatred for the Lakai is what compelled them, fueling their existence through darkness and dust. I've even heard they might have built cities in the very bowels of Cabal. Turm wondered where this Kithkin hailed from, and where he'd learned so much elven lore. How do you know all this? The elder of our clan, said Minikin. This history is documented in the great scrolls kept within the vaults of Daltaria. Turm sat back in his seat a moment, his thoughts sifting through all the writings he'd crossed during his schooling. I've seen the vaults and studied there. I've never read any scrolls regarding the Elven Wars. Little was known. I didn't think the accounts were complete at any rate. There have only been rumors. True, the accounts were not complete, returned Minikin as he took another bite. That is, until recently, when my clan came upon additional writings during an excursion to Aradwin. I'm certain that if they knew you had those scripts, the Elves would want them returned, said Turim. He wondered why the ninja had gone to the land of the Wood Elves in the first place. That's why we've delivered them to the vaults in Daltaria, of course. The Council of Races knows of their existence, and now they're in control of the scrolls, not us. We can't be held responsible for such things. That's not our business. I see, scolded Turim. I wouldn't want to be known for such a theft either. Minikun took a drink of his water. <sighs> it was a task we were hired to perform. That's all. Turim turned the conversation in a new direction then. 
He didn't entirely agree with what the ninja's clan had done, but it wasn't a worthy debate now. You said these Dark Elves were hired by the Dragon Army and sent to murder you. So why are they not based on East? Not solely. My clan has spotted them several times north of the city of Tessakon, on the plains of Sirik, always by cover of night. They raid us sometimes, but mostly they seem to be spying out the land. Turin nearly choked, beginning to connect their stories together. Though he'd listened with keen ears, his mind lingered on Manikin's first words. Your clan resides in Tusakan. That's mere days south of Grendelok Keep by horse. I didn't know you hailed from Genova. Though, I suppose I should have expected it when you said your elder visited Dantaria. Yes, we do, replied Meineken, his eyes intent on Turin. But though you didn't know of me, I knew you were Genovan by your emblem. I saw it when we happened on each other in the forest. Don't feel shame at your ignorance. It only proves to me that our clan has accomplished what it strives to do. We are ninja, secret warriors who must run under cover of darkness. We are not a clan who wishes for renown. It's far easier for ninja to exist as shadows that slip between the cracks and clefts of the world. The Black Talon Ninja Clan protects the city of Tusakan from both itself and from the enemies that go unhindered by the knights. Terms followed another dry hunk of the meat. Forgive us for not letting our scouts stray too far south these days. Our focus is always east, hoping the dragon army doesn't enter Genova. I think that if the Dark Elves are working for them, and the dragon army has already entered, so to speak. Why would the Dark Elves be working? Turum realized that Meineken was right. An awful plan began to take shape in his mind. What if the dragon army already knows everything they need to know about Grendelok Keep? General Obsidian Fist was already preparing the Dark Knight cavalry for departure when day broke above the fallow marshes of ease. The goblins had been sent ahead of the rest to prepare the swamp wyverns for their riders. Now all that remained was to wait for two squads of dark knights to return, and the entire contingent could head home. The general knew the dark elves had been hired to assassinate one of the ninja clan leaders from Tusakon. They'd set him some sort of ambush. The dark elves were efficient killers, and they worked for a fair price. He only hoped they'd accomplish their task. If not, the entire plan could be thrown askew. It was a strange wonder then when he sensed a presence behind him and spun to see one of the Dark Elves standing there. But General Obsidian Fist's reflexes were quick. His blade was instantly in one hand. It was Galanus of Dithkinir's band of Dark Elf assassins. If I ever catch you sneaking up behind me again, warned the general, holding his blade precariously close to Galanus's face. I'll remove your head. Galanus stood still. Unflinching. Forgive my approach, General Obsidian Fist. He managed in the common tongue. But I have information I think you'll find quite valuable. General Obsidian Fist returned his sword to his scabbard, folding his arms across his chest. Then I pray you speak fast, Dark Elf. We're preparing to return to the spire. Your approach brings disturbance to the order of my company, and I dislike disturbance. Galanis smirked. How much would you be willing to pay for this, I wonder? I assure you the information will be of use. General Obsidian Fist glanced over his shoulder to see several captains had gathered behind him. Apparently, they'd taken notice of the Dark Elf's approach. Cold stares peered from their helms. Does Evil Drath know of your side dealings? Asked General Obsidian Fist of Galanis. He knew full well that the mercenary's leader hadn't had a chance to hear the news. Galanis seemed uneasy for a moment, 
but he quickly regained his composure. There's no time to inform him. Besides, he doesn't have a problem with any of us dealing personally with you surface dwellers. His business keeps him rather occupied. Very well, indulged General Obsidian Fist. You'll be paid 30 gold, Numi, for your information, if I determine it to be valuable. The assassin strained to keep from smiling. A knight of the hawk is on ease. I don't know if he's aware of your presence here or not, nor do I know if there are more of his knights, but I assume you'll investigate the matter further. The general's mind raced. It was worthy news, all right, but what would he do about it? He couldn't simply rely on this assassin to eliminate the threat. Not if he'd seen the knight and not done so already. But the Dark Knights had to remain discreet. His jaw clenched. He made his decision. Gurumark Rotbone had ordered their secrecy. But General Obsidian Fist would have to worry about that later. It was close enough he could risk a minor exposure to the Easians. At any rate, even if this knight intended to warn the Genovans, they couldn't send word of warning before the Black Division was prepared. There wasn't time for that. Find him! His voice split the air like an axe through his skull. You can't be allowed to discover the Black Division here. Don't let him leave the island. The captains turned quickly, gathering their knights and mounting their horses. General Obsidian Fist was on their heels. Divide your squads and keep quiet. Maintain as much secrecy as possible. When you find this Knight of the Hawk, do as you must, but capture him. I want him brought back alive. We have to be sure he has no other allies on this island who know of our presence. Galanus walked along behind him. General Obsidian Fist, if you don't mind, I've been running all morning. I'll take my fee and be on my way. I have pressing matters to attend to. General Obsidian Fist wheeled, resisting the urge to skewer the Dark Elf on his blade. But he'd brought useful news after all. And maybe if he let him go, there was a chance they'd handle their assassination business as they'd been paid to do. Get the Dark Elphus coin, he yelled. Now that the captains had ridden off, his voice was met with mostly its own echoes. But one goblin remained behind to serve his needs. His name was Pond Grimslug, a stout little green-skinned fellow. He was smarter than the average goblin. Like all of them, his eyes were red like coals burned through the night. Pawn ran out of the general's tent with a bag of gold numai. His chainmail coat dragged along the ground behind him. I've come with your money, sir! The general turned, nodding to Pond impatiently. Count him out thirty coins and send him on his way. Then prepare to stay another night. We may need to wait longer for some of the cavalry squads I just sent out to return. Pond opened his mouth a moment, but shut it quickly. He then slowly opened it again, repeating this several times before he decided what he'd finally say. Forgive my judgment, sir, but didn't you previously say Garamark Rotbone says to be secrets about our presence here? Is it a good idea to send all them knights out? General Obsidian Fish shot Pond a piercing glare, sharp as nails. Pond paid the Dark Elf, then darted back into the tent. When the general turned again to look at the assassin, he was already gone. Turim recounted his tale of the flight to the coast of Peabock Din and the orders that Grandmaster Strongthorn had given to take his leave after his report. Meineken ate as he listened with casual ease. He spoke little, but his eyes reflected understanding. The sun soon rolled beyond the edge of the world as they talked. When they strained to see each other in the fading glow, Turim went to light the ceiling lantern. Why would the Dark Elves work for the Dragon Army? He said again. He spoke quickly, oppressing fear at the edge of his thought. 
Their conversation was beginning to unveil terrible things. Any number of reasons, said Minekin. Why do men work for the Dragon Army as their Dark Knights? Why do the dragons obey those men? I couldn't say. Drafts, fears, I don't know either. I realize we're speculating. Turm swallowed hard, allowing himself to play out the possibility. But the Dark Elves could have been feeding them information all along. On the keep, on the countryside. There are certainly tunnel entrances parking the plains near enough to Grendelok Keep for that, said Minikin. Turm's fork hovered over his plate. Now he couldn't take another bite. The Dragon Army could have discovered everything necessary to plan a sufficient assault on Genova on the Knights of the Hawk. We're certainly its strongest defenders. Maybe the missing Black Division is close enough to... But he didn't finish. Minikin pointed his fork in the air. The Dark Elf Scouts. The lone wing they'd stopped from retreating in Pebaktin. Why would the Dragon Army have risked the wing if they already had spies there? It must have been a diversion, mused Terum. What kind of diversion? It's a maneuver I learned about at Daltaria Academy. They must have sent the wing to make us think they'd halted their scouts. If we change the patrol patterns, we think we're safe until another one gets through. But they'd only do that if... You think they're going to attack? Asked Minikin. Turm nodded, his face stone. I think they are. The assassin leader, Dithkinir, caught sight of trampled grasses and saw blood where a creature had been slain. Most likely for eating, he assumed, considering the carcass was gone. He looked around, discovering a hidden den amidst the brush. Wild boar, he muttered. Lowering his long slender face towards the earth, his eyes narrowed, his mind stilled, and he waited to catch some sign. He scanned the grass. Tracks moved through the fallen pine needles out into the meadow. No thanks to Galanus, he'd found them. The half-elf and the ninja, despite the great care they were taking, were leaving quite a trail to follow. Before the sun had set, Dithkinir and Uthuk could see a thin line of smoke wafting far ahead of them. Not long after, they reached the edge of a clearing where a large cabin stood. The sky slowly bleached to pale light until at last, seeming as a gate through the skies into the heavens, the sun set. They could hear birds all about them in the trees now. It seemed like they were always spying, keeping record of the business of the folk of the world, chattering to one another of deeds great and deeds small. Dithkinir sneered, hating the feeling of being watched. Now we wait, wait until sleep comes to them, he whispered. Uthik nodded, an unspoken agreement painted in his eyes. Kneeling down, Dithkinir watched the windows of the cabin, sitting very still, Uthik knelt likewise, his deep purple cloak keeping him shrouded in the growing darkness of the forest. Soon the trees around them seemed to reach out. Darkness enveloped the island. Inside the cabin, a lantern lit the windows where a few times he saw a shadow of someone move. It must have been the half-elf. Dithkinir wanted nothing more than to barge into the cabin and skewer him upon a stake. Galanus will be here soon, hissed Uthik. Indeed, agreed Dithkinir. If he's not been attacked by the creatures lurking about this place. It's a wild and dangerous land, agreed Uthik. Did those few under Cathria ever return last night? The Knight of the Hawk passed in front of the window once more. I hope Galanus has been told to kill the half-elf. I'd like nothing more right now than to bury a blade in his filthy gut, Dithkinir sneered. The surface elves were foul betrayers. They had to be punished for everything they'd done.
Your thoughts match mine. Our losses? Those thugs will make a payment for the wealth the dragon army's given us. A faint pad of feet drew their attention behind them as Galanis broke from the brush, stumbling into sight nearby. Uthik nodded to their fellow assassin. Dithkinir was just about to curse Galanis's name for sneaking off, but then, like a dropped stone, Galanis fell to the earth with a thud. In his back stood two arrows, green-fletched and bloody. There was a whistle of wind. Dithkinir turned in time to see Uthik fall dead next to him, a shaft buried deep in his skull. More whistles. He rolled quickly, narrowly avoiding several arrows meant for his own demise. His hand was already reaching for his shuriken, but he still had no target. Their attacker was somewhere high in the trees, but even with his excellent vision in the darkness, he couldn't see anything stir. No bird, no squirrel, no cobat. The boughs seemed devoid of all life now. Another arrow came at him. This time Dithkinir left aside, throwing a fistful of shuriken into the trees from where it had sprung. He had a split second to witness a dark figure fall into the lush heather beneath. Another hail of darts shrieked through the air. He sprang away, diving and rolling repeatedly. Each time an arrow landed where he'd stood only seconds before. He came to his feet, sprinting into the wood, his black cloak trailing behind him as he ran. There was a rustling in the boughs now, and he could hear his attackers moving closer. He kept running, pushing back the fear that was slowly pulling its veil over him. His assailants were all around. No! I cannot fail here! This won't be my end! Dithkinir's thoughts raged. This is that fool Gilanis' fault! He led whoever hunts me straight to us! The arrows came less frequently, but they still landed around him here and there. His running became more even-paced. He broke through thick heather that scratched his hands and face until he found an old path long abandoned. Turning onto it, he continued running. The low-hanging boughs made the night nearly black. Trunks of trees seemed to speed past him in the opposite direction. He could duck into a tunnel if one was nearby, but unfortunately, he had at least a full lead to sprint before he knew of a hole into which he could dive. He wished they'd dug more now. Suddenly he saw a cloud of what seemed like mosquitoes ahead of him. He slowed, but before he could change course, the swarm raced towards him. The drumming buzz of the creature's wings were all around. He realized far too late what fate was about to befall him. The fairies moved in well-practiced patterns, darting in one after another from various directions. They plunged their small spears and knives into Dithkinir's unarmored body. He choked as blood filled his throat. Then he went blind. Everything was a dark red. Finally, the assassin fell with a hiss and didn't move, his blade barely drawn from its scabbard. As Dithkinir lay dying, his last thoughts were of finally shoving the tip of his sword through the heart of the half-elf knight, then through Golanus. Strangely, he gave no thought at all to the ninja he'd been sent to kill. Term's mind began to move quickly as he paced. To attack Genova with any success, the invasion force would have to be enormous. What if the Black Division had been hiding, gathering their forces with drafts and conscripts, building up their weapon stores and gathering dragons? How long had they been missing? Four years. It was plenty of time. What could he do? If the Black Division snuck up on them now, it would take days to ready their dragon wings to defend themselves. He had to do something. Could he send a message? Who could he trust? Then he decided. Though it's been arranged for my lieutenant to pick me up in a week, I must return. Now. How long have you been on this island? Asked Meineken. Nearly two days now. Why not wait until your escort arrives? 
Turin walked toward the wall where he had laid his pack. There are two reasons I can see for departure. The first is that we're not safe here. You, my friend, are certainly in peril if they're after you. A fact you've yet to clue me in on, by the way. So we can't stay here on the island waiting for the assassins to return. They're not fools. They'll watch until you can't defend yourself and then make their kill. Meineken seemed to consider this. True. But what is the second reason, then? He leaned over his plate again rather nonchalantly. We might not have five days, said Turum, glancing back at the table. It'll take days to ready the number of wings and riders we'd need to defend the country. If I can get back, I can warn them. Then we will leave at once, said Meineken calmly, taking another bite. Turum took several steps toward the window. Darkness had completely filled the sky. The air outside seemed still, and yet a sense of foulness crept in his mind, a wary feeling. I should continue to investigate East as Grandmaster Strongthorn requested, he said. But this is far more important. It won't be long now before the assassins find us. What was that the Grandmaster had said? Don't go spending each hour chasing danger and peril, thought Turum. More like it's chasing us. The Kithkin rose from his chair, wiping his mouth. He took a drink of water. You're right. That would be wisest. The smoke from your chimney is probably drawing them to us even now. Durham realized this even as Meineken spoke. He turned from the window, rushing together all of his things from the bed where he'd left them. He grabbed an armload of kindling and tossed it on the fire to keep it going for as long as it would burn, then made straight for the door. Let's go, he said. We'll keep the fire in the fireplace. That should keep evil from our backs for a bit, drawing them here. Very well, replied Meineken. Grabbing his bag, he followed Turum outside. He returned the black hood over his face. I don't suppose you have a ship stashed anywhere, said Turum doubtfully, adjusting his cloak. He turned to lock the door. No, we sailed here with one of the fish merchants. They let us off in Broadmoor, to the south of the island. But we can't take a ship. That'll take too long. Unfortunate, grumbled Turum. He tugged at his mustache a moment, then returned the key to his pack. Any other ideas? The city of Centerland is a day and a half journey northward. If we head northeast, we'll come to a road that'll lead us there, if the road remains. I don't know what you think we'll find there, argued Turum. I've seen hawks and griffins fly overhead a couple of times. If we're going to find a way home, that's where we'll find it. Or at the very least, a carrier falcon to send a message. Turum took a deep breath. It wasn't a fantastic plan, but it would have to do. All right then, lead the way. We don't have much time. The fate of Genova now rests with us. 